in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. There was a story on ESPN about other teams, uh, front office executives of other teams, not being thrilled with how the NFL handled or didn't handle Aaron Rodgers and the Packers because it appears as though Aaron Rodgers broke multiple uh, COVID protocols being an unvaccinated player and the NFL being aware that Aaron Rodgers was unvaccinated didn't do anything about it. The Packers are now being investigated by the NFL. Uh, I assume... At the very least, because it's the one thing that we have seen publicly, Aaron Rodgers talking to the media without a mask on when he was supposed to be wearing a mask, there will be at least some sort of fine. But ultimately, do you think Aaron Rodgers and the Packers just get a slap on the wrist here? You know, Tyler, it's always my favorite when we were playing the game of NFL player or team does something stupid. How will Roger Goodell discipline them? Right? Because you just throw darts at a board. Right? Uh, Who knows? Ray Rice gets two games. Tom Brady gets four, loses draft picks. Like, you know, who knows? I I think because of the fact that Aaron Rodgers has been so defiant about this and has so openly admitted the fact that he flaunted at least one of these protocols, I should say flouted at least one of these protocols, that they have to come down on them in some way. I I don't know what that is, right? I mean, it's got, I would think it's probably a significant fine. I don't think they're losing draft picks or anything, uh, but we shall see because last year, when it was the Raiders, they you know they lost the draft pick initially, at least over the whole thing. So I don't know. Next question. All right, uh, need some help with this one. The Jaguars beat the Bills nine to six. What the hell was that? Like even more confusing than the Broncos beating the Cowboys. It was nine to six. What? What? This was an affront. <laughs> To football this was not just because i bet on the buffalo bills yesterday <laughs> this was an absolute affront to the game of football that somehow sean mcdermott and josh allen the quarterback allowed pope urban and josh allen the defensive end to defeat them in a game in which the jaguars did not score a touchdown and in fact went ahead for the winning score on a 20-yard field goal. Urban Meyer (laughs) stared down having the ball against the Buffalo Bills in a six-all game at the three-yard line and said, I think three's enough. And then the Bills made it stand. To be fair to Urban Meyer, there's a chance he's never no, no, watched stop right there. the Buffalo no, Bills No, stop right play. there. There is no being fair to Urban Meyer. But go ahead. Tell me what you wanted to he say. He may have never watched the Bills play until Sunday and didn't realize they're normally good on offense and thought, this team sucks. I just need a field goal to win. Hold on a second. Wait a second. You're, you're telling me that the whole Bills mafia that jumps through tables and has sex in uh, parking lots before the game, you're telling me that his young friend from the bar is not part of Bill's Mafia? I think he's watched the Bill's game before. Uh, and just to highlight, maybe the only good thing that happened in this, Josh Allen sacked Josh Allen. Josh Allen intercepted Josh Allen. And Josh Allen recovered a Josh Allen fumble that was not his own. Uh, Josh Allen had a very good day. Josh Allen also had a very bad day. Man, you know, that's a great question. 
We did mention this a little bit earlier, but the Broncos beat Dallas 30-16. to Javante Williams rushed for 111. Melvin Gordon for 80. While Dak Prescott completed 49% of his passes. So, AFC West, you have the Chargers and Raiders both at 5-3. and three. The uh, Chiefs and Broncos both at 5-4. and four. Adam, the best team in the AFC West is... <laughs> I guess the Chargers. Yeah. Uh, and and I mean, mind you, not the point differential is everything, but the Chargers and Chiefs both have a negative point differential on the year. In fact, the team with the best point differential is the Denver Broncos, and it's not all that close <laughs> because they've only allowed 153 points this season. Um, but God, we were talking about this potentially as the best division in football, and now it's like locked in as the best good-ish division like they don't have any great teams they also don't have any bad teams like and it still somehow might be overall the best division because the nfc west has two really good teams and then kind of a shell of the seahawks and whatever the niners have become yeah it's it's not the best division in football because there's great teams in it. it's the it's the best division in football because there's not really a bad team in it like, that's the ultimate answer. Maybe you could say that about the AFC North, although the Bengals are suddenly crashing back to earth. But, like, it, there's not a, you know, free win on the schedule. There's no Texans on that division. Hell, there's, yes, nobody's a free win when you lose the Jaguars 9-6. to But that's, it's a, it's a good division because there's four decent teams in it. The Buffalo Bills recently were as high as minus 900 to win the AFC East. Uh, they are now a half game ahead of the New England Patriots. Also, the division that, I, frankly, I'm even just looking right now and realizing what the hell. Um, the NFC South. Yes. I'm sorry, the Falcons and the Falcons Panthers have both won spot. four games? The Falcons are in a playoff spot today. That's unbelievable. Put the Falcons in. If the playoffs happen today, the Falcons would be the last team in the playoffs as the seven seed in the NFC. It's great. Three teams from that division would be in right now. Jared seems confused. I'm out. <laughs> the Falcon, like I'm, I'm, I, I assumed there was more. Like the, like can we, the Falcons? Yeah. All I got for you is Cordero Patterson said yesterday we got to stop giving people heart attacks. It's like listen, I don't think you're winning very many more games, so. You'll take the heart attack wins. Uh, the Browns won their first game without Odell Beckham. Baker Mayfield, 14 to 21, 218 yards, but that is over 10 yards per attempt. Did throw for two touchdowns. Um, there are a bunch of stats throughout the week about Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield, how Odell was significantly better before he got to Cleveland and played with Baker Mayfield, but also how Baker Mayfield has been significantly better when targeting anyone besides Odell Beckham in his NFL career. Do you have any explanation as to why Baker Mayfield is better without Odell Beckham? Because Odell Beckham was never good in Cleveland. And I think we put so much of this on, oh, he's having to force the ball to Odell. Here's the problem with having to force the ball to Odell. He's not open. That's that's the biggest thing. Odell Beckham was not the same dynamic, athletic, always open guy in Cleveland that he was in New York. So I think part of the reason that you see Baker Mayfield's numbers go down is because it's not just a 10-minute video that some guy who now claims he doesn't know Odell Beckham Sr. Uh, posted online of times that Baker Mayfield missed Odell Beckham. 
Like, there are a bunch of other times that Odell Beckham is just straight not open. Those 10 minutes were the only routes that he ever ran in Cleveland. Oh, can't argue <laughs> that one. Uh, on the Cincinnati side of this, they got off to a 5-2 and two start. Looking good. They've now lost two in a row and haven't looked particularly well either while losing those two. Uh, we writing the Bengals off already? So here's what we have for the Bengals. A three-point win over the Vikings, a loss to the Bears. They win in Pittsburgh, whatever. The Steelers are terrible. They beat the Jaguars by three in a game. They were down 14 at half. They probably should have beaten the Packers, beat the Lions, and then, yes, you have the win against the Ravens, backed by a loss to the Jets, and then yesterday. Uh, so this Cincinnati Bengals team, I actually don't think is as bad as what we've seen the last two weeks. I mean, think about what it for that first touchdown to be scored. Denzel Ward picks off pass and runs 99 yards. It's a 14-point swing on the first play of the game. I think the, the Bengals will ultimately be okay. I think they're still a playoff team. Um, when you look at their schedule down the stretch, it's tough but not impossible. So I don't worry about them having games against, you know, let's just say the Niners and the Chiefs anymore. Next question. Alabama beat LSU 20 to 14. Maybe the most incredible stat is that Alabama had six rushing yards in this game. Now, one important note, college football counts quarterback sack yards against the team's total rushing yards. Uh, but still, the leading rusher for Alabama, Brian Robinson, had 18 yards on 13 carries. That is horrific, especially for Alabama. Um we have seen teams like a Cincinnati get punished for winning close games against bad teams. LSU, probably better than most of the teams in Cincinnati's conference, but still not necessarily a good team. And Alabama beat them by six while playing pretty poorly. Do you think they get punished at all? Or are they still number two in the college football playoff rankings? All right, let me put this back on you. If Alabama isn't number two in the college football playoff rankings, who is? That's a good question. The other teams I, that struggled against bad teams like Ohio State? I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> Ohio State looked awful. Awful. You, you need to understand, if you don't, just how bad Nebraska is. Nebraska is a dumpster fire. Ohio State shouldn't be playing a game within 21 points of them. So right now, Georgia's the consensus number one team in the country. I don't think that's really much debatable. Cincinnati's number two. Can we just speak a little bit of truth here about the Bearcats? They've been terrible for three straight weeks, and they're the number two team in the country. So you then you've got what? Just go by the coaches' poll. Oklahoma. I don't know how confident I feel about Oklahoma. Ohio State ahead of Oregon. Who they? Oregon beat Ohio State. And then you've got Notre Dame, Michigan, and oh, we had number three Michigan State, and now they just went and lost to Purdue. So I think Alabama is still the number two team in the country. Although I'll tell you what, beyond the rushing yards, I watched that game uh, against LSU. LSU was a better team in that game for three quarters. Alabama had a good second quarter and LSU outplayed them the rest of the game and just couldn't cash in a drive at the end. Can I give you what might be the most incredible stat? Uh, Nebraska is three and seven this year. Saturday against Ohio State is the first time they've lost by more than a possession. They're terrible. They're not good. Their quarterback is very bad. I think he's probably going to set the college football record for turnovers. They literally cannot make a field goal. It's impossible for them to make a field goal. And you, the rest of the team is probably fine, 
But when your quarterback's that bad and you literally can't make a field goal, you got no chance to actually win most of these games. They've every game they they've lost to like four teams in the top twenty by a single possession. It's incredible. You know how bad college football is just overall this year. Um, and for I think what you just said illustrates that, that a team like Nebraska can actually hang around and be within one score. Um, this is how bad it is. Cincinnati's number two because they're undefeated. Period. That's it. They're nine. No. So is Georgia. So is Oklahoma at number four. Um, but you want to know how bad it really is. UTSA is number fifteen because they're nine and zero. UTSA. Hey. Can you name me one team that they have beaten this year, other than you know the one who played them to within seven points who plays down the road from us? Uh, they beat um, Illinois, right? They beat a Big Ten team. I'm not. 90% certain it's Illinois. Yes, and Illinois, and, and yes, when they write the epitaph on the 2021 season for Illinois, it will read a Big Ten team. Yeah, and here, well, whoa, listen, whoa, they listen, won. Illinois beat Nebraska by eight, Ohio State beat Nebraska by nine, so UTSA basically the same as Ohio State. <laughs> That's how it works. A team, <laughs> Tyler, the number 15 team in the country beat UNLV by seven points. It's a great game for Marcus Arroyo. Moral victory. They got a lot of those. And coming up next, they finally got their first real one. Ow! 55 yards. And he got a big gaping hole, and he went flying right through there. Bobby Cole, 5'9", 207-pound senior from Chatsworth, California. And the Lobos are a point, point after away from tying it up. And that zone read there went out the back door. Uh, everybody's focused on the front side of the play where the quarterback and the action's happening. And then just not able to flow to the backside. The, the pulling guards take you to the play. Pistol formation. Play action fake to Charles Williams. Friel has time. He's got an open man down the right side. It's caught. 25-20, 15-10-5. Touchdown, Rebels. And that is Kyle Williams. So one big play leads to another. And the... Rebels turn the tables on the Lobos with a 75-yard strike immediately following Cole's 75-yard run for New Mexico. UNLV snapped a 14-game losing streak. They briefly had the longest losing streak in the country because Arizona also won on Saturday. UNLV also snapped a program record 706-day streak without a win in football by beating New Mexico on Saturday. Marcus Arroyo is now 1-14 and 14 as UNLV's head coach. And maybe, more importantly for UNLV, it wasn't close. They were significantly better than New Mexico. The only time New Mexico got across midfield in the fourth quarter was after UNLV fumbled a punt. But UNLV has done it. They have won a game. Marcus Arroyo, congratulations. Tyler, we both sat here on Friday and said, we want to pick UNLV to win this game, but we can't trust that if they get into a close game that the coaching will allow them to do so. So they found a solution. Don't play a close game, right? <laughs> they allowed the opponent to run for 250 yards in the first half, at which point I texted you and was like, I don't know if this is possible. You smartly texted back about the Wake uh, Wake Army game earlier this year. But the point being, um, UNLV, as you said, was so clearly better than New Mexico. And that really was our handicap, is that if you look at the four units, offense, defense on both teams, 
there's really only one truly competent unit among all of them, and it's the UNLV offense, and that proved to be the difference in the game. It was, uh, yeah, a, a fairly dominant win for a team that has not really dominated anything in two seasons, and that's sort of, uh, you know, somewhat impressive given what we've seen. If we lower the bar to where Marcus Arroyo has allowed this program to lower the bar, it was impressive yesterday. I will say... Uh, I think this is a lot more about New Mexico being terrible. I don't know. No, how New don't do has it. Three wins. Don't uh, do it. But you know, if you got to win, congratulations to Marcus Rayo. Also, oh yeah, 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 I know what I wanted to complain about. You know why they won this game? They found a coach who's making worse in-game decisions than Marcus Arroyo. Because here we go again. Can't just let the man have a W, can you? Listen, listen. First off, Marcus Arroyo let the last 15 seconds of the first half run out when, I don't know, they could have thrown a Hail Mary. They could have tried a 61-yard field goal. Instead, they just said, no, thank you. We don't want to try to score more points, and they went to halftime. But at least he called some timeouts on defense to get the ball back for a final drive and tried to move the ball. It's progress from what we've seen from Marcus Arroyo the last uh, few games at the end of the first half. But that was nothing compared to Danny Gonzalez down 14 with four minutes and 10 seconds left in the game, sent out his punter on fourth and 10. They they were down two scores with four minutes left. Like they weren't going to convert the fourth and 10 because their offense couldn't get 10 yards an entire half. And UNLV fumbled the punt and New Mexico got the ball across midfield. It worked out very well for New Mexico. But what kind of a cowardice decision is that? You're going to punt down two scores with four minutes to go? That's worse than anything Arroyo's done. Hey, now. That was the most points New Mexico had scored in six weeks. They'd already gotten their moral victory. <laughs> they had 17 points. They didn't need any more than that. All right, Tyler, we do have to let, let me. I want to get the positive part out of the way here real quick. Out of the way. Uh, <laughs> out of the way. Congratulations to guys like Charles Williams, yes. who have stuck around this program for a very long time. He now rightfully becomes a record holder and, more importantly, doesn't have to walk away from this season having zero wins to his name. And to all of the kids who have grinded their way through this season and last season to get to this point, they absolutely deserve this moment. It doesn't matter if the other team was bad. It doesn't matter if the other coach was bad because that's what teams like Fresno State, Utah State, uh, you know, and San Jose State, their fans could look and say, well, UNLV's bad. It shouldn't have been that close. doesn't matter. You won the game. Well, that's what UNLV can say about New Mexico. Doesn't matter. You won the game. Um, but they really did grind their way through. And that brings me to this point, Tyler. Um, why are you trying to be part of the cancel culture? Oh, boy. That gets rid of Marcus Arroyo and the UNLV football program. Oh boy. Okay. So I, I heard this live after the game. I could not find a replay of Marcus Arroyo's post-game interview with Stadium. Otherwise, we would we would have that audio for you. But Marcus Arroyo, to paraphrase what he said, was that it takes something special to keep getting punched in the face and keep getting back up and not letting cancel culture bring you down. I don't think Marcus Arroyo knows what cancel culture is. I agree, and that is why when I retweeted the quote from Jeff Grammer, I used the uh, Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride saying, I do not think you know, <laughs> I do not think that <laughs> word means what you think it means. Hey, I've seen that movie. I'm very proud of you. Um, Just want to make sure I, I got that reference. 
It's like Marcus Arroyo winning a game. Doesn't happen very often, but it's happening this week. Well, in any case, I just don't want to... Like, we had this thing with the moral victories. We had this thing now with talking about cancel culture. Just get out of your own way, man. Just, just get out of your own way. Like... Much like the guy with the horse paste up in Green Bay, like you don't always have to be the one who knows the most. Like j- j- your kids won. It's awesome. Let it be. Just just let it be. So credit to Alex Wright here, who uh, is the editor in chief of the UNLV Free Press. He tweeted out this quote with any pro that Marcus Royal gave with any program that you are starting to build. You've got to do a really good job of insulating from what I said before that cancel culture of woe is me. Here it goes. Pull the plug, run away, scrap it. Fortunately, I'm not from that. I'm from a town of a thousand people, one stoplight, and my mom's a butcher. I'm not into running. So Marcus Arroyo very clearly thinks cancel culture is feeling bad for yourself. Uh, Okay. Uh, Let's just, let's just have a little fun here for a second. (laughs) Um, My mom is a butcher. There's a lot going on in this (laughs) quote. Yes. I don't run. My mom is a butcher. I, I, I'm really trying to wrap my head around this part. I get it. It's a blue collar job. Like, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, my, my, you know, my mom was a secretary for a while. She managed a restaurant. She was a teacher. Like pick any of those. They're blue collar jobs, right? Like I, I don't run either. Whatever. I, I don't get it. Have you ever seen a butcher's son run? I've never been asked that in all my years on this earth. I have never seen a butcher's son run. Point by the way, proven. But, by the way, butcher's son run sounds like it'd be one of your fake horses. Oh, eh, not a bad name. We'll keep that in mind. Okay. Have we gotten you unblocked yet? No, of course not. Somebody, I can't remember who, some uh, listener, follower on Twitter tweeted at Marcus Arroyo, will you unblock Tyler Bischoff now. Uh, no, it has not happened. Still blocked by Marcus Arroyo. Did you check Instagram, though? You you might be unblocked oh. on Instagram. This might be a slow, slow recovery for you. Find out later in the show if I have been unblocked on Instagram. But coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. And listen to the VGK Insider Show from 4 to 6 on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Ryan Wallace with us now. All right, Ryan, if the Golden Knights had traded Robin Leonard and kept Marc-Andre Fleury this offseason, would they be winless? Uh, Man, Um, no, probably not. Um, But, I mean, listen, Robin Leonard has been very good this year. Marc-Andre Fleury, it's been a struggle mostly because the Chicago Blackhawks have been absolutely horrendous in front of him. However, uh, when you look at the Golden Knights and kind of high-danger chances allowed throughout the first 12 games, uh, no one's really allowed more than Vegas. So uh, you could make the argument that even Chicago's defended slightly better than the Golden Knights have. Um, But, I mean, listen, like we all knew Robin Leonard was a good goalie, right? Like we all knew that he was among the the top tier in this league, and he's just proving that through the first – on 12 games of the year. This road trip ends with the Golden Knights getting four points in four games. Considering how they went on the road in terms of injuries, et cetera, is that a victory? Is that not enough? What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, right now the the reality of the situation is with Stone out of the lineup, Patchetti out of the lineup, Carlson out of the lineup, White Cloud's important to what they do on the penalty kill out of the lineup, no Nolan Patrick. And I guess you can throw Jack Eichel into the fold here now because he's not going to be available for the Golden Knights for the foreseeable future. Uh, this team should be and needs to be at or around 500. So you go on the road, even healthy, uh, your goal for a road trip is going to be be a 500 team. The Golden Knights were able to accomplish that on the road trip. That in and of itself is a victory. Now what you're hoping for is that when you go on the road or really any any four or five game stretch, you're hoping that you put yourself in a good position to maybe catch or steal a couple of extra points. The Golden Knights had that opportunity last night against Detroit. They weren't able to do it, but at least they put themselves in the opportunity. The beacon for this team right now is B500 until you get a little bit healthier. They have six straight at home coming up. When you were looking at you know expectations or goals, what do you think points-wise from these next six should be the expectation? Yeah, I mean it's it's a tough stretch because you've you know you've got Seattle tomorrow, and then you know things get a little bit more more interesting. You've got Vancouver and Minnesota. You've got Carolina, who is is among the elite elite teams in this league, and they're relatively healthy. So it's a tough six game homestand for sure. But you know I think if you're the Golden Knights, you're you're looking to get maybe two points over 500 at whatever configuration that needs to look like in wins and losses and overtime losses, whatever the case may be. If you're the golden Knights, I think you're looking for just about two points over what 500 would be on this road trip or on this homestand. So it's a big change this year to go back to having a goaltender who is number one. There's no one, a one B this is Robin Leonard's team with six games all stretched out on this homestand. No back-to-backs. You expect that Robin Leonard is going to play all of these games and that pretty much we're just going to see Brassois uh, on back-to-backs or in case of injury? Yeah, I, I don't think that that's going to be the plan moving forward. And I think last night's game informs that a little bit. Uh, you had a relatively long stretch of, of inaction for Loren Brassois, and you could see kind of how that didn't really gel for him having a strong start last night against Detroit. So my guess is you're going to see maybe Robin Leonard have the first three to four games here at home, and then you've got to sprinkle Loren Brassois in a little bit more frequently than you have to start the season. I know you're chasing points. I know you need your best lineup out there every single night, but you don't want to risk burning out Robin Leonard in the process, and you don't want to risk the confidence of Loren Brassois. So for me, I think that Brassois gets at least one of the games here at home, and then you've got to start getting him in more frequently as the season progresses. They scored a power play goal. They scored two power play goals in the same game. Is everything fixed? Are they good to go now? Uh, well, then they followed that up with going 0-3 uh, against the Detroit Red Wings, a team that doesn't kill penalties particularly well. Um, no, everything isn't fixed, but I do think that there's a little bit of confidence you pull from the the fact that you were able to find a way on the power play, and you also pull confidence confidence that it was against the Montreal Canadiens, a team that you could not score against in the playoffs last year on the power play. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the Golden Knights' power play progresses over the next couple of games, especially being here on home at home. But the fact of the matter is it has to become something that they utilize. It has to become a consistent um, threat to score because if it doesn't, then it just deflates you every single time you go through a power play and you don't build any momentum in the game from it. 
Ryan, have we seen anyone who is filling in for the injured players over the course of the last couple of weeks who is going to make a case to still be in the lineup when they get healthy? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I mean, Jake LeCision's been pretty good. Like, of all the guys that are kind of there at the bottom of the lineup, I think LeCision's been maybe really cons- the most consistent. Um, it, my answer to this is no, not really, and... I would say that, that if, if I'm looking at one guy that's been asked to do more, not so much come into the lineup and, and stick around after, but one guy that's been asked to do more and has delivered, it's been Nick Wah. I think he's been phenomenal with Marcia So and Smith. And for me, like if there's one guy that's really taken the next man up mentality and run with it, it's been Nick Wah. But he's going to be in the lineup regardless. When everyone's healthy, he is a player for this club moving forward. So, not exactly answering the question because I don't think I've seen enough from really anybody at the bottom of the lineup, but Nick was really taken hold of an opportunity here and run with it. On the flip side, uh, concern that Evgeny Dodonov is not really producing at the moment? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you go out and you, you make a trade and you bring in a $5 million player who has been a 25-goal scorer in the league before. Your expectation is that when guys go out of the lineup and you someone that's been a proven scorer to score that you want them to score and it hasn't really happened for Dodonov yet um you know I, I mean you can point to a number of different reasons as to why that may be um fact of the matter is he's got to produce at, at that cap hit you know you're seeing it from Jonathan Marshall so you're seeing it from Riley Smith you're seeing those five million dollar guys finding ways to impact this this team and, and find offense you need to start seeing it from Dodonov here and it, it has to start probably on this homestand for sure. So six games on this homestand, Ryan, and we know that attendance has fallen off a little bit at T-Mobile. We know that the Golden Knights are trying to do some things both with season ticket holders and with people uh, selling single-game tickets to try to get folks in the building. If you're a Golden Knights fan right now, you're just someone considering going to a game, what are you coming out to see with this team? right? And I'm not trying to actually drag them as much as, say, What's left to go watch right now? What's to, what's left to get excited about? Well, I mean, I, I think that for me, it kind of starts and ends with Robin Leonard. And, you know, it's not going to be as flashy as, as what you see from Marc-Andre Fleury for sure. But, you know, the fact of the matter is Robin Leonard has been making very, very difficult saves look easy. And if you want to see a goalie that I think is really in tune with, with how he needs to play and making some big-time saves – then I would argue that you're probably coming to see Robin Leonard in this moment. Beyond that, um, the fact of the matter is the Golden Knights have been playing uh, exciting hockey. It's not necessarily what the coaching staff wants, not necessarily what the team wants with all these players out of the lineup because you want to clamp things down and play a bit safer, but the Golden Knights haven't really done that. They've allowed a lot of high-quality scoring chances against, and they've been involved in some really high-scoring games. So if you're just a hockey fan in general and you want to watch a game that's that's not so much about the trap and more about attack, 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 then you come out to watch Golden Knights games because they're going to be entertaining and fun. Uh, Can I give you a test here real quick? Sure. All right. I am going to give you a number. I just need you to tell me which player wears that jersey number. Do you think you can do this? Probably not, but let's go. Who wears number 22? Michael Amati. Hey, one for one. All right. Who wears number 46? 
Jonas Ronbier. Oh, he's killing it. Who wears number 15? Jake LeCision. Oh, all right. Last one. Who wears number 39? Loren Brassois. Oh, he nailed it. That's why he's the VGK insider. Listen. The amount, the amount of games I've watched where I'm like, all right, I, I do not know I who 15 was, is. I thought that was going to be hard, Tyler. Well, what, what is that? Listen, I'm willing to bet you are one of maybe 20 people in this city that could have done that. I mean, I also look at the lineups every day. Like, I know. It's part but, of my job. But listen, I've that. watched this team play, and I'll see a 46 or a 22 out there, and I'm like, I don't know who that is. I know it's Wait. one of those names, but I don't know which one it is. Tyler, do you think Pete DeBoer is one of those 20? No, I don't think Pete DeBoer is one. Can, okay, can we for a second just imagine if Gerard Gallant was coaching this team, how many guys' names he would not know? Oof, that's uh, <laughs> probably bottom six and maybe maybe Dylan Coughlin at this point. <laughs> All right, he's Ryan Wallace from the VGK Insider Show. Check out the VGK Insider Show from 4 to 6 over on Fox Sports Las Vegas, plus pre-post and intermission. Ryan, as always, we appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Listen, we we know Gerard Gallant would not know half his roster right now. He would, you'd, he'd get asked a question about Jonas Ronberg in a post-game press conference. He'd, have no, he'd probably get mad just to storm off so he wouldn't have to answer because he'd have no idea how well Jonas Ronberg was actually playing. Coming well, up now. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I just, I'd love to ask him that, but apparently Ed Graney fell through a trap door at the Rangers facility. <laughs> <laughs> uh, show update. We're talking to Ed at nine. Yes. Yes, right. we are. Sure. Do, do we think he'll have cell phone reception by we, nine? Hey, if, if not, we will turn this into a running joke where we will call him at nine. 57 and just be like, all right, we finally got Ed and cut him off. That's Nothing all I else? Got. Okay, look like you're about to keep talking. No, cut. no, I was going to ask, I was going to ask Adam something, but you seem to want to go to break really bad. Coming up next, find out what Jared wants to ask Adam. What happened with Trevor and how is his ankle? Uh, low ankle sprain. They took him in for an x ray. He's coming here in a minute, but uh, he's ready to fight me when I won't let him in right away. <laughs> so I had to remind him I'm the, still the coach. Still the coach. All right, Jared. Now. Uh, before we get to your question for Adam Candy, I do have an important update. Uh, not only on Twitter, but also on Instagram. I am still blocked by Marcus Arroyo. Nothing has changed. Not even after his first win. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> Are you a good producer if you do the sound with your voice and then press the button? No, I literally forgot I had the sound and went, wait, I have it while I was doing it. So, no, I'm I'm not good at my job. All right. What do you want to ask Adam Candy? I wanted to ask Adam Candy. Adam, you remember um, the old jaywalking segment from The Tonight Show? Of course. Okay. If you and I were to go out with headshots of... Cast members from the TV show Riverdale and the current Golden Knights lineup. How many people could correctly identify which is a Golden Knights player and which is not? I think we could make this even more interesting. Um, I think we could probably go out there with headshots of current Raiders (laughs) and headshots of current Golden Knights and try to get people to guess 
which team they play for. Like that would be even more topical. And I love the idea. And I got to tell you, it'll just be great radio. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> well, the original the original idea I had was we former president of the USSR, our current Golden Knights player. Do you think there's a picture you're going to find of Mikhail Gorbachev that's going to make him look like he could be playing for the Golden Knights no, today? No, because I was going to do it by audio only. Is is Mikhail Gorbachev? Is a, Boris Yeltsin? A, this is this is the most relevant segment we have ever done. <laughs> Tyler, save us. No, I'm not. I'm never here to save Jared. I am here to let Jared drown. I am never the the life raft for Jared. I am the. I, it's it's me, ankle. you dope. Yes, I'm, a, I'm the one asking to be saved. And if not, then I, if you're not going to do it yourself, then I will be the one to drag your school <laughs> no, no, and see, say, what the hell was old Miss doing to Hugh Freeze oh, this weekend? They, thank you, Adam. Phenomenal. What are you talking about? What were they doing? They beat him, and then they tried to dunk on him on Twitter, and then I had to apologize because of cancel culture. The woke mob had old Miss in its crosshairs, Adam. The woke mob had a long weekend, did not like <laughs> The woke mob had to listen to that entire Aaron Rodgers interview. Then the woke mob was down in Albuquerque watching UNLV play football, <laughs> and then they made it to the Ole Miss game. So, all right, Ole Miss beat Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze is former head coach at Ole Miss, had them ranked in the top four at one point, um, beat Alabama a couple of times. It was probably the second best run for Ole Miss, if you're looking at, like, sort of four-year periods. Uh, but... Hugh Freeze was illegally recruiting players. Uh, Hugh Freeze uh, ended up losing his job. There was a lot more than just paying off players as well. That burner phone, extramarital affairs going on too. Uh, but Hugh Freeze, when he was the head coach at Ole Miss, when there were like the first sort of reports or allegations uh, that Ole Miss was illegally recruiting, Hugh Freeze tweeted out, if you have any facts about a violation... Send it to compliance at olmes.edu. If not, please do not slander these young men or insult their families. So after Ole Miss beat Liberty over the weekend, Hugh Freeze now coaching at Liberty, Ole Miss tweeted out, if you have complaints about this result, send it to lufootball at liberty.edu. If not, please do not slander these young men or insult their families. That's not the bad one. You're That's not the bad one. The bad I'm one. ignoring the bad one, but you can tell us the bad one. Uh, they mocked Hugh Freeze for coaching from a hospital bed. They did do that. That was pretty low and pretty bad. It was. It was. Now, let me ask you this. If they had not sent the hospital bed tweet, because for those of you who don't know Hugh Freeze, I think it was staph infection in his first year at Liberty. Yes. Um, he coached. From a hospital bed, in, like in the press box. They brought the hospital bed into the press box so that he could watch and be on the headset and, and coach from up there. Uh, and there's a picture of him giving a thumbs up from across the stadium through the press box. That's what Ole Miss tweeted out. If they had not mocked that, would the other tweet have stayed about the uh, send your complaints to libertyfootball.edu? Mm. Here's the problem. When you involve compliance at the university level... <laughs> You're tempting fate in a way that you're not otherwise. I'll say this. Had they left the hospital thing out of it, I think that the second one would have been hilarious. Like, that would have been a fantastic troll for a guy who clearly got caught with his hand in multiple cookie jars and tried to make it look like, you know, 
um, the I think you should leave skit where, you know, the guy in the hot dog drives into the uh, store and tries to make it look like it's not the guy in the hot dog costume who drove the hot dog mobile in. But this is uh, this this combined with the other thing. Yeah, no good. Am I wrong for thinking Carson Strong is going to end up being the best quarterback in this draft class? Yes, probably. Do you you have a name that's better than that? I honestly, all right, just from what we've watched this year, and let's be real clear, five first-round quarterbacks drafted this past year, and I don't think anybody in this class is clearly better than any of them. Um, I think Carson Strong has the tools to be the best of the group. Sam Howell has clearly had as damaging of a year as anyone. You put the stat in here about Malik Willis for Liberty, who threw three interceptions against Ole Miss. I actually think it's Matt Corral. Uh, I I think the arm talent on Matt Corral is as good as anybody else in the class. And, you know, it's really, really hard to judge Carson Strong against the Mountain West. Yeah. Like, I I think it's probably Matt Corral, too, but... I watch Matt Corral somewhat regularly, and I'm not convinced he's actually going to be a good NFL quarterback. And I just, like you just ran through some of the other names. I don't think any of these other ones are very good either. And it sort of leads me to, well, maybe that Carson Strong guy can do it. It seems like a really weak quarterback class. But what's funny is we thought this was a really good quarterback class. And has anybody actually looked that good other than, you know, Mac Jones trying to pull people down by their ankles. Like it's, it hasn't been a great year for rookie quarterbacks, which makes me think that Malik Willis is going to be like some awesome quarterback next year in the NFL. And I'm be like, that guy wasn't any good when he played Ole Miss, but whatever, I guess that doesn't matter. You can't leave me that little time. To I talk know. About I'm sorry. Mac I'm Jones so sorry. in that I'm spot. Sorry. We will get back to Mac <laughs> Jones. Tr- uh, he's going to be with Dan Campbell before long. Cause Dan Campbell wants to bite knees and Mac Jones wants to destroy ankles. I- I'm sorry. That is my that is my fault as a radio host. I shouldn't have done that to you.